Welcome to the Design Thinkers Academy London podcast. I'm Samad Bhatia. So you've taken a Design Thinkers Academy London course, but what's next? Perhaps you slot straight into a design thinking project. But what if you're in an organisation where design thinking is almost non-existent? Arnold Koning is not only a facilitator at Design Thinkers Academy London, he's helped promote design thinking at Procter & Gamble, one of the world's biggest consumer goods companies. He's also worked as a consultant for DTA's sister company, DK&A, and advised companies on how to use design thinking. Arnold, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Yeah, th- thank you for hosting me. I uh, I always like to talk about design thinking, so I'm very curious what you would like to ask me. So uh, go ahead and uh, I'm, 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 yeah, let's have a good conversation about design thinking. Well, fantastic. And having seen you in operation as one of the facilitators at Design Thinkers Academy London, I, I know we're going to get some great value out of you. So perhaps we could start at the beginning and, and talk about when you joined Procter & Gamble. Was design thinking big at that time? Well, when I joined, I mean, I must admit, I've been quite a couple of years with with Procter & Gamble. It it wasn't like very prevalent, but what happened is around the year 2005, 2006, the then CEO, A.G. Levely, created a design function. And um, out of that came then the need or the interest to start introducing or uh, finding ways to apply design thinking inside Procter & Gamble. And when I was exposed to it, I was in 2008, I was uh, working on a big project and I was asked, hey, can you apply design thinking to this very complex project, which it was. It was like with multiple product categories and multiple countries. And, and, and we had to find a solution that would work within all those constraints. And that's when I got hooked on design thinking. So uh, then people had been formed and there was like, I mean, educated. There were there were some training programs, but I was in development at that time. So it was driven by the design function and partly by research and development at that time. And soon after that, because I liked it so much, I followed a couple of internal PNG courses. And then from there on, it I turned into like a facilitator myself and then ended up in program to implement design thinking within global business services and uh, yeah kept on playing in that space uh, with lots of uh, lots of pleasure and interest so like many people who'll be listening to this uh, podcast you know you got hooked on design thinking but was it easy for other people in Procter and Gamble to have your enthusiasm and belief in design thinking so um when I started, what I, I noticed when especially that, 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 that first experience is that a lot of people were kind of blown away in a positive way by uh, how fast we were able to take so many different insights and turn it into something like concrete, like uh, prototypes or ideas. Uh, but a lot of people that were in that workshop, they was like, oh, that's great. And they moved on with their with their day a job and kind of forgot about it. Uh, but then I found there was a, a group, like an enthusiastic group that said like, hey, we want to take this further. And that turned into something very sustainable. Uh, at that time I was based in Geneva uh, where there were quite a few design um, managers as well. So that 
also helped because uh, they were uh, the initial initially they were most of the of the people that were training. So those interactions really helped to uh, to even spark more the the interest uh, in design thinking. So you had like a, a, a big enough and enthusiastic group, and there was also a lot of interest from higher management to start working or applying design thinking in their organizations. So I, I guess did it take as well though some success in projects to to persuade people to come on the journey and and sort of come and knocking on your door saying we'd want a design thinking project was that hard? In, in the beginning, uh, yes. In some in some cases, it was. So when I worked on the the big a bigger program, we were like a team of eight, and we we're trying to implement design thinking in global business services, which at the time was like six seven thousand people organization. Uh, we, we did a big uh, a big workshop with with leadership so that were really like the top leaders were like 40 45 people and like instead of yeah you have a day it became a half a day and at the end we had only had a few hours to do it to kind of expose them to design thinking and we we set it up with like really a lot of facilitators we had like a, a very good lead facilitator which was coming from the design function which gave a bit of external uh, an endorsement and that really helped that events to generate interest and then the project started coming and we also got like at that time a, a, a big pilot project and that was a project that already had failed three times so that was create and again this a few years ago was create this dashboard tool which would show the progress kpis and all that and uh, so we were really reluctant to take that project but yeah it worked out really well because uh, working with that team and with, with our team we were able to to help them to get some insights. So the first thing we did there was, and, and I'll, I'll stop after that, but was like segmentation. Um, mm -hmm. They never really properly segmented the, their their end users. So we start to introduce the simple concept of persona, and which is funny for a company like P&G, which has like all this consumer knowledge, but somehow we were not taking that in and applying it to, to our own employees. And and that was an enormous breakthrough because they start to realize that by segmenting and by looking at different personas, they actually could come up with winning proposals. So it's it's, it's fascinating. What you did was to put on an event that got a lot of people excited. That started at least people thinking about the process. But then they gave you a difficult problem to solve, which is a project which had failed. But by solving that problem, which had failed before, you proved the, the worth of design thinking. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And again, um, which was really interesting. And the example I, I have given maybe in some of the courses in the past was we did this voting with your feet exercise at the beginning of the session where uh, of the session we had a big workshop around this dashboard in uh, it was in Cincinnati at the time and that was our team and that was the team that had worked on it and was that was quite a bit of frustration on their side and we did like hey how likely do you think that we'll find solutions or ideas of how to bring this further and they were standing all on the uh, let's say on the left where it was like no no way and we were all standing on the right and at the end of that week we really got close to each other and so we would stay in uh, we ended up with we did the same exercise after a week of going around talking to different end users prototyping we were standing in the middle together and that was for me it's it sounds almost like too good to be true but that was really the case so it really helped them to uh, uh, to learn new ways of looking at the problem that actually opened doors for them that that's just like, hey, this is something we can do and can bring us to come up with a solution that, that really uh, will be successful and will be uh, adopted by, uh, by our employees.
So you've also uh, been a consultant at the, the Design Thinkers Academy London's sister company, DKNA, uh, the consulting part of Design Thinkers Academy London. Uh, what have you learned there about, you know, here's someone like who say who's done a course, Design Thinkers Academy London. They're very itching to get ahead and, and like use design thinking, but they go into a company where it's, you know, may not be as big as Procter & Gamble and they're trying to get it you know, to try to get design thinking off the ground. What are your thoughts there? What do they do? So the example I was giving before uh, inside Procter & Gamble was at that time was at its height. So it had a really good footprint of facilitators. So w- the situation I've seen in different kinds of companies is that uh, they either because of lack of own resources, and that doesn't mean there's no no interest, it's just that they're either at an earlier stage or there's just not the capacity, is to partner, partner with organizations like DKNA. So so you get really this combined combined force. So uh, you always always need people from the company because you need people who understand the business processes, understand all the terminology, knows the ins and out of the of their business. But you also need people who understand like, hey, this is an in, uh, this is an appropriate way of designing, for example, a workshop, or this is appropriate way of doing user research. So we ensure that we really have the right springboard for ideation, for example, and that partnership is has been really interesting so i've been to yeah working on several uh, companies where i really was uh, amazed by that partnership because it it, it, it it's like it's coming uh, bringing in different elements all the time so it's like everybody puts something else on the table and then you create very strong teams that will actually uh, help to get buy-in either from management or buy-in from the people that the teams that we were working with so it may be that you get help, as it were, maybe from a consultancy like uh, DKNA, get them in, get that first project off the ground. Then there'll be people who'd have gone through that process who will be able to carry on or, or get trained up more. So it's getting a critical mass of people then who, who have experienced design thinking seems to be what you're saying. Yes. And, and, and that's what I also wanted to make clear is like, you can make a choice to keep it all in-house. Let's say, hey, uh, let's say I'm company X and I want to do it all with my resources. I think that's great. But I think if you allow uh, or finding the right partners, it will allow you to probably advance faster and also keep access to the latest and greatest. Because one of the things that I, l- I really love and I really enjoy for working with all those different companies and, and giving the courses is um, learning from other situations and from other companies. Because the, the, the good thing for me about design thinking, it's, it's quite open source. Uh, it's not something that is like hidden uh, and you have to like uh, do special qualifications in order to like unlock some of that information. I mean, you still need to be knowledgeable about the tools, but if you want, and you can find a lot of those examples out there and seeing it being applied in different contexts is really for me has been an eye opener because I was learned like this is design thinking. These are the steps you take. Um, that's how it works in big companies now. They have like, this is the, the way, these are the steps. I, I started really uh, building and we're expanding my toolbox, which makes me much more open as well to to other other, other suggestions or other other routes of solving it, which at the end makes you, I think, a better a better design thinking and the thinker and and more agile to deal with with, with different types of problems. 
So I guess one thing about design thinking is that you, you take inspiration from everywhere in related industries. And, and I, I guess it's true of design thinking itself. A, a flavour of design thinking to, at uh, Procter & Gamble will be slightly different from uh, design thinking in, in another organisation. And you can learn. And that's where consultants can be quite useful because they can see how it's been applied in different places. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that's it's one of the returning topics. For example, ah, but you work with consumers, so that's easy. You can you know you can easily get in and bring consumers. I work in B two B. For me, it doesn't work. Well, in the meantime, while working on design thinking and 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 giving the courses, um, I've seen so many situations in the B two B situation where. I, I sometimes I think it's actually easier. I mean, mm -hmm. it's easier to build that engagement. It's it's a mindset change. It's like, hey, uh, it doesn't have to be the end end consumer. It's like some of the other actors that maybe are you're working with. So, those are things also uh, that help. And I have also seen some organizations that were so agile in in bringing in um, new ideas or new suggestions. We've seen it when we worked with some of the hospitals in London. They were like alpha and beta testing ideas that came out of a course and I love that. And that agility as well was inspirational for me. Because that then again, if you go to a bigger organization, and I'm not saying that PNG is not uh, is not agile. I think they are in some domains they're very agile, but there is like there's more sometimes a bit more reluctant to start testing things right away. We had a, a good chat uh, um, before we started the podcast. And, and as it was really interesting what you said, though. There you are. If you go into a, a company and you, you will be really keen to get design thinking off the ground and you may have people near the bottom of the company, just starting off, maybe on the first one or two rungs, whatever. There might be people high up in the business who love design thinking. There might be people below who see it, but it's those middle people you've got to, you've got to almost persuade yeah, that, that that is true, and and what I've I've heard from from all the questions and discussions we had, that is unfortunately the case in all types of organizations. So from governmental organizations to financial institutes to big multinational consumer goods companies. So what you see indeed is that that middle group is um, the middle management tends to hold what they can predict. So and they feel that some of the the, the the uncertainty that design thinking brings in their eyes is what 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 scares them and what makes them reluctant to use it and what what i've tried to do or what we try to do with the teams that we work with is try to translate their their, their business goals or their outcomes into so like hey how can we uh, use the design thinking tools to ensure that we get to to meet those goals so using design thinking to say like hey this is how it can help because that translation is sometimes hard. They feel like, okay, I give it to you, uh, link to, to, to the design thinking group, and then I don't know what is going to happen. And what I'm also tr always trying to explain is actually the design thinking process is really well structured. And and, and the, the, the type of outcomes you get, if you take, take the right steps, the foundations are so strong that actually the outcomes you are getting, uh, first of all, are, uh, are supported by users, uh, are actually supporting your business needs if you if you bring those in throughout the different design thinking steps. So that translation of like, hey, it's not going to bring me what I want, but hey, it can actually, and this is how we do it. That really helped to convert some of the middle managers to say like, okay, I, I want to try it. And and all of the times, and that is not because uh, I, I say, but it's really the case, they were super enthusiastic and they also be became adopters of, of, of the design thinking methodology. So to initially get them there, you've got to say, this is going to make you look good. 
you're going to succeed and and that's going to be good for you yeah and and one of the things that always stands out for the people that are very reluctant at the moment they they hear what their their end users or the personas are really saying about the, the their challenges it, it it that's where most of the conversion happens because they realize that uh and it sounds weird that they're normal people with with a, working in a specific context and uh and, and they hear things about their solutions uh, either services or products that they never thought that that was bothering them or that was helping them so it, it really changed their mindset as like hey um, my service or product is perceived uh, by some people in this way and in that way while they were like before they were basing it all more on their their own assumptions or more like on generic gene uh, more generic market research and those insights are really like uh, what helped to for people to to make that step so it just shows that step, which is at the beginning, which you teach, uh, you facilitate a lot, is about parking your assumptions at the beginning of the project. It's so powerful what people actually think, but the reality may be different when you start talking to your end users or, or near users, as it were. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and that is that is the thing. And that's what I, I've seen in many occasions. I, I once was helping out uh, a team that sells pampers and they worked with a client. And at the end of the day, when they were working, they were all identifying with the mothers who were going to buy those pampers. And that was about online sales and how to bring that. I was not able to distinguish who was P&G working for pampers and who was the online retailer because they all really were like, oh, how can we help these mothers use the nappies? Yeah, buying their nappies online and how, how to improve their journey so that we actually uh, meet their real needs and not just saying okay this is where you can get it and that's happened to me on multiple locations where yeah it, it sets the it, it kind of resets everybody's like assumptions and needs and and all of a sudden it's like hey the, the persona comes first and and then a lot of the sometimes of the tensions disappear Anna, what happens though if you're trying to push design thinking in a company and you get a failure uh, have you seen that at uh, maybe at Procter & Gamble or with, uh, with clients? How do you deal with that? And how do you, I guess you can turn that into a positive as well. Yeah, I mean, it, I've seen failures more uh, on different levels. So like on project level, on, on the actual, like we had workshop sessions. Uh, I, I had one where we, uh, it was it, it was not like a very lengthy project, but still we were asked to, uh, to do something. I was uh, for the sales force, it was within Procter & Gamble. And we worked with, again, with people in different locations and under quite a bit of high pressure. So it was like, it's only like a couple of days we were allowed to work on it. And we came with recommendations and we basically were told, oh, thank you for the recommendations, but that's not what I wanted to hear. And um, they went ahead with, uh, it, it, at that time, I think the iPods had just came out. It was about a training course on an iPod or something like that. And the whole team was like, why? I mean, we've just been talking to all these people and said our recommendation is exactly the opposite. They went ahead with it because there was some interest from higher management and uh, that failed badly, I should say. Um, so that that's one of the things that I've seen where uh, yeah, all the insights and, and, and I think the communication that and the that we brought to the table was, was not was not taken into account. I've seen as well, and I've been on projects where the commitment is we, we take design thinking the whole way and we do it on every step and they only did like an initial design thinking session and they felt like they ticked the box and then went back more to a traditional waterfall approach. Um, 
those projects normally have enormous adoption problems afterwards uh, because the end solution never looks what what the people anticipated. So I've seen several either applications or different user interface designs, even also employee uh, services that didn't come off the ground. So I've seen them in a way, I've seen quite a few, but what I... but I always take I, I I keep that in my in my mind. So I use that when we engage on new projects or new uh, new things. Uh, I also show that said this is what happened here. I said I I think we want to avoid this when we do this project. Uh, so if we take these and these steps, we can avoid it. So I use it almost as a as a selling argument to do things differently. Yeah, you've seen the scene where it's failed. And as you say, one of those failures was because they didn't follow the design thinking methodology. <laughs> they did, They got it for a bit of research and then went, well, love the research, but we're not going to use it. And they failed. So that way it's saying, well, if you let's try now with the research. And if that succeeds, you've proven your point that design thinking can work. And, and you, by calling out the research, you put your finger on the on the sore spot or the important stop. Because a lot of people say like, okay, I've done my design workshop, we did a couple of interviews, we know what the end users want or the personas want. And I think that is very important that it's not doing like two, four or 10, 30, sec- 30 minute interviews that you know everything. You need to keep on validating, coming back. Uh, you might have to do a much more in-depth research phase to ensure that you really uh, are going after those unmet needs or those, uh, or can confirm those specific insights. So I'm really happy that you called that out because it is essential for doing a, a thorough and a proper design thinking process. So, Arnold, this has been fantastic. So if we just go over some of the the, t- the tips and tricks you've suggested um, for someone who's, you know, wants to get design thinking to take off in their company, it may be that, first of all, they might need to bring in some outside help, maybe uh, at certain times or maybe t- to help grow it organically within the company just to get enough people who are who've experienced design thinking and who then become more experts um, it's to get people to try it because then they they convert uh, particularly middle managers who might be the, the, the sticking points and getting it to take off and, and yes it's just that power getting as many people to feel that power of hearing from the users rather than their assumptions which which converts people so it's just getting that message out there just keep trying get some help if need be but also make it realize that it's going to make a lot of people within your company look good yeah and and maybe if i can add one short thing to that is um the 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 design thinking tools so if you look at the journey map uh, you look at the persona there are great tools to communicate so the artifacts you create throughout the design process, um, use them and those will speak very often for themselves. So if you think about communication, about what you're doing, don't discard the tools that you're using and build on them. And with, with like slight adjustments, you can turn them into great communication tools within the organization or the people you work with. And, and you also mentioned another tip, actually, right at the beginning at uh, Procter & Gamble and where you've seen it before, where you kind of put on like events and and from those events people come to you and that seems like the best situation to be and if people are coming to you in your company saying i want to do design thinking and they they really want to use you that that's the ultimate aim i would suggest 
Yes, yeah, you know, those events have, have helped a lot. But that's an opportunity like the, that you need to find or, or need to be able to create within the organization. But yes, that really, that really helped a lot. And um, what we have did there as well was always get some external endorsement in those events. So uh, we, uh, I, I, we worked with a professor from the Polytechnico in Milan. We used other speakers either from organizations like Stanford just to set up the stage. And that really helped. Uh, and the one thing that I can say there, since many organizations are, are are working on design thinking, it doesn't mean you always have to go to like 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 a university or so. There's also maybe companies that are in a completely different industry that could be a great way to inspire your organization to start using design thinking. I oh, know. Thank you so much for sparing your time today, and just just please do remind us of some of the. Uh some of the courses you facilitate here at Design Thinkers Academy London because I've I've been on what, at least one of yours and they're fantastic but look, do tell us your list of uh, of courses that you help on yeah so I'm uh, I'm helping on uh, on the day 4 of the of the bootcamp which is uh, I think that's the where it all started with like the bootcamp is the mother of all courses I feel a little bit <laughs> In person, in person, yeah, 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 and and that is a a, a great way to, uh, yeah, from 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 start to end, really go to the design thinking process in detail. Uh, there is the facilitation course, so how to apply design thinking. So it's great if you have done like fundamentals or the bootcamp, and you want to think like, hey, how do I facilitate a group? Um, that actually came out of the bootcamp where people were asking. And now what? What next? Um, and then there is also the we call it the mastery of facilitation, which is um, which is the advanced one where we look more at developing you as an individual facilitator, understanding, uh, digging a bit deeper on on on, on group dynamics and. And, and some other elements like advanced tools or how should I design tools and the and the uh, design thinking flow. So those are the I would say the main set of courses. As I mentioned design thinking fundamentals as well, which is also a great way to get exposed to the design thinking process in uh, in a couple of days. Oh no! Thank you so much for sparing the time again, and uh, look forward to catching up with you in person as well soon. Yes, I hope so too. Thank you, Samant. Take care. Bye. So thanks to Arnold for joining us today and sharing his story and tips. If you're interested in learning more about the Design Thinkers Academy London and its courses, including those with Arnold, visit the website at designthinkersacademy.co.uk or follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Many thanks for listening and look out for further podcasts soon.